Hello, and welcome to another special bonus episode of the Back to the TARDIS podcast, the podcast where usually we take a look at every single episode of the 2005 revival of BBC's Doctor Who. Um, however, because this is a bonus episode, we're doing stuff a little bit differently today. I'm Jeff. I'm Skylar. I'm Celeste. And today we are discussing uh, Big Finish, main monthly range number 29, The Chimes of Midnight, starring Paul McGann as the 8th Doctor, India Fisher as Charlie Pollard, and written by my boy Robert Shearman, one of the best writers that Doctor Who has ever had. Anyways, uh, this was Shearman's third script for Big Finish, and I think third story for uh, uh, his uh, writing in Doctor Who in general. It was an early story of the Eighth Doctor's Big Finish run and is widely regarded as one of the greatest Doctor Who stories ever. And uh, frankly, uh, I guess spoiler alert, but I am I am very inclined to agree. Um, it features, um, eight and his companion, Charlie, who eight had rescued a couple adventures prior from, uh, the crash of the R101, which was basically like the British equivalent of the Hindenburg disaster. Um, but because Charlie was supposed to die in the crash of the R101, some, uh, whack shit has been, uh, happening to the web of time, which, uh, it's not as obvious here as it is like in later adventures, but um, there's still stuff happening here revolving uh, strange occurrences in a an Edwardian mansion uh, on Christmas and a, a time loop. Uh, and I mean, this is like directly caused by like uh, Charlie not dying and dying. Yes. So, yeah, yes. It is directly caused by that. So it yes. is definitely. Right, but there's there's there is other things later on that are less that are more like overtly related to the arc later on because this it's weird to call it's it's I guess kind of like a season of like like the eighth Doctor um, adventures like the previous one two three four were kind of like a season. And then this one is part of a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, if you count Zagreus, stretch. Um, so, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I guess we'll uh, just jump right into it. Right away, the first thing that I want to say... Um, this is an audio only medium and I'm really glad that the episode that uh people picked was one where I can just really go up and be like the audio both the sound design and the soundtrack 
is fucking fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Like the audio design, because um, I've never listened to to a, like a Doctor Who audio drama before, and I was like, I, I wonder how they're gonna do that. And they definitely managed it very well. The way it conveys yeah. like just like space and movement yeah. and like yeah. other things going on through just audio yeah. is really good. And and definitely like in general, I think the big finish. The big finish um, Doctor Who stuff in general has pretty good sound design. There are a couple cases where shit just gets fucked like Zagreus, which is... Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully get to that eventually, but uh, Zagreus is a fucking mess. Um, but this is, I think, a case where it is especially good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Totally. Having worked in amateur... There was, like, an amateur middle school, like, audio play that I put back on, like, years ago. And just the amount of moving bells and whistles to that to get anything to sound good is is incredible. And there were only, like, a few moments where it was just like, okay, why is this character talking out loud and describing what they're seeing? Yeah. And it's just like, oh, well, you can't. Yeah. That's the, like, yeah, there, there were, is, like, a few yeah. instances of that. But, like, aside from that, it was like, I was fully engrossed there was just a point where i just like stopped doing other stuff i was doing at the time and just laid down and closed my eyes and just like let it wash over me because it was it was that good it was that easy to get into it yeah and there's um there's definitely a um ah uh, what was i gonna say oh oh um so like for example um storm warning which uh, I I don't think uh, any of us like. I did not listen to it again, and uh, both Celeste and Skylar did not listen to it at all before doing this. I just kind of synopsized it earlier. Storm warning. I feel falls a little bit more into that, where it's just like because there isn't any companion to play off of, and it is the first story that they did with eight. Like the first five ten minutes of it are very much like eight talking to himself in a way that just kind of like mm, you're 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 trying to make up for the fact that you don't have any visuals but yeah and i think i also think how well that works is uh kind of depends on the writer depends on the script in general it's pretty good and i think rob shearman especially is i i this is just going to be like a a constant stream of just adulation and praise uh, thrown at the man this episode but he legitimately is one of the best people to use the one of the best writers that use the audio medium to the point that my favorite story of his shirt so is literally a story that cannot work in a visual medium Yeah, there was there was good stuff done with like the one of my favorite ones was like there would be the ticking of the clock and that would get warped as things got yeah changed or like went back like you could just yeah very lazily do just like a graphic of just like oh the clock's going back but you have to like really yeah you have to do some crazy shit to show that in a uh, audio medium and uh, yeah especially especially big yeah. praise on my part to uh, Paul McGann because. There are a lot of actors that are really good actors, but they can't do audio or voice acting for shit. Yeah. Um, 
and maybe it's something where like he got better over time or maybe he was like always pretty good at it but it was i could still hear his he's doctor's pretty, voice he, he's in pretty it. consistently good that's good to hear yeah yeah, I will um, yeah. say just like on the subject of, of like sound design and stuff that's done in audio, like there were a few things where like their descriptions of stuff I feel like were better than I would be able to like process visually. Yeah, like you know, I'm thinking sort of like of the scene where they you know they try to leave through the TARDIS and then they're like walking out and it's in the room again and they go back into the TARDIS and it's like the the space is linked together like that sort of moment I was like. Damn, if you tried to show me to that visually, it would probably just be some like pretty weak CGI and I could see right through it. But, yeah. Like, when he, when it's just sort of relying on the audio, it does like do some extra stuff. And yeah. Just, I mean, there were also like a lot of there were a lot more like audio motifs that, that yeah. like really help demarcate and help you figure out what what's going on. Like there's certain you yeah. know, there's lines like, and I, phrases I, that get repeated yeah. throughout the episode to sort of indicate what's happening. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. something like or, or or recurring even recurring like parts in the music like whenever um charlie is talking to the real edith there is this fucking haunting like synth drone in the background that yeah, just plays... sounds super heavy yeah and it, it that's like the sort of thing that i didn't pick up on well. consciously yeah, that's like the yeah. sort of thing I didn't pick up on consciously, but I'm sure, like on a subconscious level, my brain was like processing things like that, yeah. and feeling yeah. the like the sort of rhythm. And... Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I guess to start with our synopsis here, um, the doctor, uh, I guess, was supposed to be taking uh Charlie to Singapore in 1930, which actually does happen in the next episode. There is actually like continuity there, um, uh, but uh, the TARDIS is like no way, fam, uh, and they materialize in an unknown location. Um, yeah, I, I think to to get back into like the the audio, I mean, this entire scene where they are trying to feel their way around the room is actually a an example right there. I think of something that fundamentally could not work in uh, a visual medium because in a visual medium, like all this like slow methodical working through like, okay, what can I see or feel around the room? It would it either wouldn't be entertaining to watch or it would be like three seconds long. Yeah. And like working with that concept of darkness is definitely a lot more viable here. Like, Oh, the doctor can't see something like that's a plot yeah. point now. And, and, and Oh god, I'm sort of thinking like imagine how cool it would be if we had an audio drama of like 12 if, if the blindness had stuck, we could get audio dramas of like 12 when he was blind. Yeah. That would be really cool. Get yeah. on it big finish whenever you actually for real hire Capaldi. You haven't yet, but you will eventually. There's also another advantage uh, with the uh audio medium of like this is a longer story, obviously, than is like a story, a typical Doctor Who television story. You could get, you could spend a lot of more times with the, with the side characters in the house that like, frankly, aside from Edith, aren't fleshed out like amazingly well. But the fact we get multiple instances of them trying to stop the Doctor from doing things and then slowly as how they evolve and like 
basically break their programming but still stick to it as the loop goes on um yeah there was just like more fleshing out of that than i feel like would have been done in a tv story where maybe they go through the loop like three times at most before everyone's just like oh i got it and then it's solved um but there was you actually sat with the situation and went through it a couple of times which i i liked yeah um and and how they're like how the script is then able to use them feeling around and and knocking over the jam to move into like the first sort of hook which is like anything they do gets undone seconds later yeah and and god i mean you know we've sort of talked on the podcast before like about how sort of mainline doctor who doesn't often play with time that much for a time traveling story yeah this is like this is the kind of story you you sort of think of when you're like what sort of time shenanigans can happen and like yeah like legitimately there was so much going on here with like just playing around with time yeah the way you know there's the sort of stasis and then there's like the time loops and things sort of turning back there's like and then there's paradoxes and characters characters uh characters futures coming into play and uh uh time being changed and yeah yeah, not to compare Doctor Who to Star Trek again, but the fact that like the next generation has more time loop episodes than the show has, at least I'm pretty sure it's like okay. Um, but yeah, I do I do like it when there's there's stuff to do with time that isn't just the mechanic of how do we get other places and other times. Uh, so that was yeah, definitely that was like I I looked up the synopsis i knew it was kind of like a like a murder mystery which uh incredible timing that we didn't choose that but that was voted yeah. on and it still lined up with uh unicorn well and the wasp. yeah yeah i what like when i was covering unicorn and the wasp the other day i'm like oh yeah these do actually line up really well and i didn't intend that even though like i totally like i put chimes on that poll knowing full well that chimes was probably going to be the one that uh got picked next yeah, so it's just um, like a nice juxtaposition. Yeah, I was Go sort on. of commenting that it almost felt like uh, some of the stuff in the Unicorn and a Wasp was like a reference to some of the stuff that happens here because they outright mention Agatha Christie in this episode, and you also yeah. have the Doctor getting confused for and it's similar detective, and it similarly plays with mystery tropes, but in a much, yeah. much, much more interesting way. Yeah, it's like Unicorn and the Wasp is like, let's do murder mystery but alien. And this one's like, let's do murder mystery but fuck with reality. <laughs> it's like the ambition there is a <laughs> different levels. Um, but yeah, good setup. Um, All right. So, uh, we're uh as as uh the doctor and charlie explore the episode cuts away and we are introduced i guess to our like either like deuteragonist or tritagonist of this story um the scullery maid edith thompson who's like the lowest of the lower lowest rung and is constantly basically being abused by her subordinates mentally um and verbally there's there is an interesting thing here too of I commented of how 
Unicorn and the Wasp also uses like trope characters. This especially uses trope characters. And I was also thinking about how like these are trope characters immediately recognizable to anyone who has watched a British costume drama. Which which also led me thinking on of like a tangent of like it's really weird how like one of the UK's biggest exports to the US is like like fucking like UK costume dramas. Like do y'all remember when fucking Downton Abbey was big? What the fuck were people thinking? That show was bad. <laughs> my parents were into that. And yeah. My dad's about as like, pro America anti royal as you can yeah. get. It's and like just shit. just from watching like a season or two of that. I immediately recognized like all the stereotypes here, like the like the uh, the butler who's uh, sort of like the head honcho of the the servants and very haughty, like the older uh, female cook, you know, the the chauffeur and the the lady's maid being up to some shit, and then the scullery maid just being like the lowest of the low, and. I feel like using these tropes, it will actually, I mean, it is intentional, both in-universe and out. There is an in-universe reason that we will get to later, but out of universe, it is, I feel like it's also to lull you almost into a sense of security of like, yeah, okay, I, I recognize these tropes, like, yeah, okay. And then they start twist, he starts twisting the knife in by getting fucking, by not not subverting the tropes but over exaggerating them to be scary yeah, yeah. um yeah. the oh. way i would sort of describe <laughs> yeah yeah sorry uh the way i would sort of characterize this is it's almost like god how do i put this like it's analogous to the way that Junji Ito like fucks with human bodies. Like that's his thing, you know. This, yeah, this sort of, like, yeah. Twisting yeah. and warping of human bodies. Stereotype this, horror. This, yeah, <laughs> this story sort of twists and warps like these, you know, character archetypes, and you yeah. sort of yeah. see like the 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 like scullery maid who's the lowest of the low, and you see how that like plays out, and she just keeps getting like killed and killed and killed yeah. and killed, yeah. and, and then you have like the 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 you know the the head uh, the the cook uh, the older like female cook and then she gets stuffed with her own food and it's all this like yeah. gross shit and like it's just all that yeah. yeah and 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 how the the repeated I am nothing I am nobody starts with her and then spreads to the rest of the staff as the episode sort of unveils its big like as much as this is like a, a time loop critique episode I feel like it is also a very angry episode about the way that like the like the old sort of social hierarchy in the 181900s was it is yeah. absolutely yeah. like some of the strongest social commentary we've seen on doctor who like this one is not subtle like they just straight up say yeah like nobody respects us you know we have no future there is no reason to our lives because we are literally just the servants and we are trapped physically underneath where everything important happens and we will never get the resources help or like life we deserve <laughs> it's not yeah. subtle in the slightest yeah. I thought there was a side critique with Unicorn and the Wasp, but, like, listening to this whole thing in, like, comparison, it's so clear. It's like, this just goes for the throat and is really effective with it. And I think part of the creepiness as well is that you start off with these tropes, and then 
as you kind of said, Jeff, like stuff is revealed slowly, especially with yeah. like the thing that the thing that caught me in it. It even kind of became a joke at a certain point was that the chauffeur's car, like he couldn't remember. Yeah, if it was like and an it older, ke- yeah, keeps going back and forth like uh, Chrysler. No, Bentley. No, the fact the fact that the maid that he's been like having yeah. an affair with, and there's just like, there's there's also. Or your yeah. Bentley, whatever it is. Like that there is, yeah, no, there die. is also some extremely black comedy here. Oh yeah, there's the description like this of the episode... murders, especially. You couldn't. Yeah. I don't think you could get away with that in visual. Or the the, the like the when the in the butler like like the when the doc like for example like to use that that example of the chauffeur when the butler's like ah it was suicide and and a very deadpan is like ah yes. He very clearly ran himself over with his own car, then drove it back outside and parked it and came back inside before he eventually died. <laughs> the, I think probably my favorite one is the one uh, where, where she gets suffocated with the plunger. Oh, yeah. And there's the, 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 the sucking sound effect as it gets pulled off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was and then they were like well maybe it was a suicide he was like how would you how how <laughs> and they're like well maybe it was because she was so stupid that she didn't realize that that's not possible <laughs> and it is simultaneously like it is like the most cutting black comedy that can only be written by someone who is extremely fucking pissed off Like yeah. it is, it is, it is scalpel sharp. It's just like we get some based blunt RTD, but like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe for good. I just this this is like a different level. Oh, yeah, no RTD is me like blunt force trauma murdering someone with my bass guitar, and Robert Shearman is more like like precision katana beheading. Um. Uh. So yeah. Um. And yeah. And you know, like all, like it's literally like it's crazy. Like this probably like Down Abbey wasn't even out when this came out because this this fucking thing came out in two thousand two. So this was this was if anything, this was commenting on like the old shit that came out in like the sixties and seventies that was on British TV. But it is crazy how much like I recognize like the plot like the plot thread of the chauffeur having the affair with the lady's maid and running into friction with the cook because of it. And it's just like I don't think that is exactly what happened, but it feels so familiar, even for like a Yankee who's watched like one British costume drama. It felt very as someone who's who's in a British literature class now currently and has done the whole like Jane Eyre, the whole uh, yeah. Pride and Prejudice. Obviously those are both focusing on like more like the upstairs to use the terms of like and, the episode. And but, a like, little bit old, a little bit older, but yeah, yeah. The yeah, hierarchy but is like, still the same. Still those recognizable of like, there's the yeah. protocol, there's the roles, there's what mm-hmm. these people do. This is your line in work if you don't find a husband or if you're just unlucky to be born there in the first place yeah. it all felt yeah. 
typical and setup. Like the roles, in the, the roles way. not only the roles are not only used to play with the roles, but the roles are there in universe in multiple ways. It's like it's it is operating on both a meta level and an in-universe level in a way that's just like, man, there is some fucking perfect synergy. Mm-hmm. Especially with how the house continues to use them in their roles. Outside yeah, of yeah. what the lords do. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's see here. Um. Uh, and yeah, it's it's also interesting, like the pacing of like. I'd love, like, more, like, Rob Sherman stories to be on television. Like, obviously, like, he seems like... He seems like he's enjoyed writing other things than Doctor Who, and I kind of get that because I get the sense that he's too good to just do Doctor Who. But, like, this one in particular, I actually think it would be weird to adapt, not just because the audio-only things we mentioned, but also because it would have to be a two-parter. Otherwise, the pacing would be fucked to shit and back. Like, Dalek, while it is technically an adaptation of Jubilee and has, like, some of the same ideas, like, there only being one Dalek left and it being locked in this vault, is A, an hour and a half longer than Dalek is, and B, is basically completely different. Like, it, it is a very loose adaptation. Um, And, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah and I, I guess going into that there's the sense of like literally like this entire first like 27 minute long episode is basically just all set up like it is like eight and charlie investigating and setting up like who the the servants are and who edith is and the, the 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 hook of uh edith uh, like like there being like almost this different edith that is uh oh, like recognizes charlie and is aware of uh her impending death and that's that's the uh that is the cliffhanger and like the fact that they are able he is able to just spend that episode makes it like it's weird thinking about like taking a 30 minute chunk of your episode and have it being all set up when you're, you're like super used to the 45 minute layout. But fuck me. Like if you know what you're doing, it's actually really beneficial. <laughs> um, and then yes, we move on to part two um, where they find Edith. Uh, drowned in the kitchen sink and the other staff members walk in and immediately for some reason assume that uh eight and charlie are uh inspectors from scotland yard um and th it starts the thing here there's another thing of like the way like the precision and coldness in how fucking like in how like the episode sets up aims and fires Chekhov's guns of like I I am nothing I am nobody and and the servants and the house itself 
um, and the the repeated motif of everyone immediately assuming it's suicide, and you 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 totally when you first think it, you think it's going a totally different place of like, oh, there's something else going on, like some cover up or some force doesn't want them to admit that they're actually dead, and then when it actually comes in and hits home, like you and you realize it's like, oh fuck, because it's basically been going the entire story. And you just accept you know like you've accepted it and normalized it as part of the loop almost as much as the denizens of the loop have themselves. Yeah, one thing the the story does that even with lines that are like supposedly like non-threatening, like obviously like the the suicide thing, like that's that's a big one. But even stuff like oh, it wouldn't be Christmas without your plum pudding. Like yeah, or, after I or, heard that like the fourth yeah. time, I was just like. Yeah. Oh my god, that's like that's like getting to me. How? How is that getting yeah. to me? But it like or, yeah. Or 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 uh I yeah, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. It's almost yeah. like it's like fucking like repeating NPC dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I And and of. I think that it sort of gets it gets back to the point of that commentary where they just have like such these like such rigid roles to play where they're yeah. basically just acting out the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And I honestly, I think the deaths play into that commentary, mm-hmm. like the way they're conditioned um, to just like accept the fact that they're going to be dying yeah. over and over. It, it's sort of, you know, it, if you want to take that to the really extreme connotation, it's sort of about how, like the death of the working class is normalized under extreme conditions. Like they're basically forced to work to death over and over. And that just sort of gets normalized or, or like how it starts or, and it also on the, on the personal level of how little they cared about Edith. And then the first it's like, Oh, like it's a scullery made. And then on the third loop where they just automatically, as soon as they find the body, they're like, well, wait, Edith never existed. And they just leave. Yeah, I also like this is this is getting ahead, but to your commentary, Celeste, it's like how chilling is it that the house is like, well, I may be doing what like the lords do, but I'm honest about it, and I'm just like, damn yeah. it, the jackass has a point. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it, it it's like there's so many sort of layers that you can analyze it on like there is the there is like a personal level and then there's like a a commentary level and there's a sci-fi level and it's like when you talk about doctor who you normally don't have that like density of layers to approach an idea from like it like for example like i guess to to move ahead how edward grove is very petulant and and its last words are it's her life or mine which it, it, you could honestly argue to be in a socio-political sense of how the upper class uh, abuses the lower class to keep their high standard of living and then it's also just because the house is using her paradox to live and and like there's there's so like fuck guys <laughs> this story is so good yeah, yeah like the had... house literally sustains yeah. itself on the death of the lowest person in the house yeah yeah it's we've we've covered stories that are like really great like sci-fi and like character pieces like the i i just rewatched the unquiet dead two-parter last night and 
Not unquite dead. Unquiet what am I dead. talking about? Unearthly uh, child uh, started with a U. Unearthly. Um, but like, no, wait, just... no, unearth, unearth, no, uh, empty child. Empty. Damn it. The one with the masks. <laughs> We've seen yes, stories like child. that that are just like really, really good and atmospheric, and they have a good sci-fi concept, and the characters are good, and the solution makes sense. But it's like it's rare that you get the amazing social commentary and also just like a really cool fucking concept <laughs> um it's it's hard to marry those so well and uh yeah that <laughs> i would not be mad if this guy wrote more doctor who or like honestly like did star wars or star trek or just any type of like genre stuff yeah. like that because he seems to know exactly what the trappings are good for both in making a good theme and making an interesting plot like that's a amazing balance to be able to do that well Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh. So yeah. Uh, uh. And. Well, I'll I'll get to that later. But yeah. Uh. Um. And how like uncomfortable, like it it like how uncomfortable they are to uh discuss the upstairs which like in some ways like it, it leads you to think like oh there's so, like it totally leads your your brain down different routes before eventually going no it doesn't matter the downstairs we're not going upstairs the upstairs does not is not relevant to the story um uh we start to find stuff like uh anachronisms uh, let me. Yeah, um, I have down here in, in my notes half the horror is the classism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that the, I I wrote that in episode when I was like taking notes for episode two, so a, I had a significant like, portion gone further yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way it's it's also interesting too of like how. It, it's like oh man I haven't ever actually played PT but it, it feels a lot like what I understand PT did of like looping and sort of degrading something every time you went through the loop again um which uh, I think is really interesting um I like the the other thing of the the ongoing like thing of everyone in the house pointing a finger at someone else and their only excuse being like oh this person has shifty eyes. Um Weird shit happens with Charlie which we'll I guess get to a little bit more later. Um the doctor uh, questions Frederick, the chauffeur, which uh, definitely get this is where we get the first like uh, Chrysler Bentley thing. And I have to say the other thing of like these actors are all playing stereotypes, but the way that they are incredibly able to express this weird like both being looped and like adjusting to the loop and and like messing up like the way he delivers the lines of like of Chrysler no wait Bentley like that sort of thing it sound like 
it almost like it, it helps adds the horror because it doesn't it intentionally sounds off yeah my favorite example of that is um when it's it's the uh, the main i forget his name <laughs> the 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 head butler who is like mr shaughnessy it's like come now help me go kill the doctor and it's like in the prim like butler voice but it's just yeah. like it's that <laughs> um yeah just like switching that up but still keeping the role but not but just being that slightly off again it's a it's an amazing balance and props to the uh props to all the voice actors for the uh yeah for the for the lower class for the for the working people yeah. in the house like there are one two three four five six seven actors in this entire story which big finish already tends to have like a lower amount of actors compared to like normal doctor who but even here this is a minuscule like cast list that is only in terms of like the full cast audio dramas like this is pretty small and the only thing that i can think of that is noticeably smaller is shirtso and that is because shirtso is literally only eight and charlie wow yeah um uh the chalk the uh, yeah. uh <laughs> no not the chalk no <laughs> uh the the another uh, seed is uh, th uh another thread is seeded here of uh edward grove is alive which is another really great sentence that worms its way into your head and when you realize what it was, it's like, oh, that makes sense. But until you get to that point, you're like, what the fuck does this mean? Or, like, your thoughts of what this might mean are fucking way off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, there's not much you could have done to predict yeah. how it, like, didn't yeah. you, th yeah. this is one of the cool ones where you legitimately just have no fucking idea what yeah. the fuck yeah. is going on <laughs> until you do. And then it's like, Oh. oh yeah um and it, it it's actually funny because uh eight muses on like the rules of mystery that i mentioned the other day of like well it can't be someone uh it can't be someone new that's not how this works um but that it is <laughs> well actually no it's not new because it's been there the entire time <laughs> like he was actually right <laughs> he was right but in a way that heavily subverts that actually yeah it's 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 the it's the uh the the fucking the meme of from the pirates movie of like well yes but actually no <laughs> <laughs> there's some amazing foreshadowing not just in the repeated stuff but like i looking back on it now the fact that the butler character is just like you know do whatever the doctor and charlie tell you um all matters except relating to the house and like that sounds like a normal yeah. like operations yeah. like obviously but then you and realize then on the, the house next loop yeah then on the next loop it gets it actually gets like 
threatening or like this is a major block. Um uh Mary uh Mary confronts oh yeah, uh the the cook is killed and is uh stuffed with her own plum pudding, which is again great black comedy piece. Like it is similarly like oof and also like Um, and also like the, the way that it manages to have like something of like this, a cap happens on the hour, every hour and without it taking place over an hour and also being like, no, literally time is being sped up with to sort of bend the rules. Um, and how like slowly everyone like begins to forget that Edith even existed as uh, uh, eight is like, no, guys, wait, as the clock ticks midnight and we have our, our second cliffhanger, which it's then revealed that uh, everything rewinded back to the beginning of the loop after it. And we move into part three. Um, this is when we move into uh, the second death of Edith. And this time she was suffocated by the sink plunger, which... It's a funny mental image, and then they really lean into it with, like, the, the uh, like, extended, like, sound <laughs> as it comes off, which is just fucking. <laughs> they knew what they um, were doing. And they find, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And they find um, the, uh, that, uh. Uh, Edith's name which was written in the dust and Charlie's name which was written in the dust is now joined by a third name uh, Edward Grove um <laughs> there's a really great uh hold on oh yeah I forgot in the, in the last episode there was there was something of where uh frederick and mary meet each other and like oh mary's like oh you, like you went and killed mrs Batterly so she doesn't stand in the way in her love and there's this very creepy moment where they're like they both realize like oh neither of us did did it but then there's this creepy moment where it's like well we don't know that one of us could be lying and it's it's not in the sense of like it's actually real one of us must be lying like it feels intentionally artificial in a way that's very disturbing yeah and and the fact that like when edith is dead most of them are just like oh yeah mary's the scullery maid and just like that yeah. that shift and they both just like accept it she's like oh yeah you wouldn't fall in love with me i am nothing yeah. goes off it's just yeah. like yeah the first time that yeah, happened i was no. just like the fuck <laughs> yeah 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 no this is this this like it's i've listened to this multiple times beforehand and i have to remember that not only are you guys new to big finish you're new to robert shearman big finish and you haven't listened to this story before and boy is it a mind fuck if you don't know what's coming <laughs> hell of an introduction jeff yeah no yeah <laughs> um and I was thinking about this because then obviously, um, oh, and I forgot to mention like uh, eight tried to go upstairs 
and was confronted by Mr. Shaughnessy with a gun who's like, no, you, you can't go upstairs. Um, uh, so in this new loop, uh, eight goes and visits, um, Frederick, um, uh, and is like, well, take me outside and like orders them to take him outside. And there's the great line of like, well, no, I can't do that because our masters have uh, ordered me to uh, hit you with this poker really hard. And, and Mary chimes in and is, and is like, and my masters told me to uh, that I could stab you real quick with this knitting needle. It's like it's one of those on things how I could do it, sir. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's like it's 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 both funny and extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> Like it, it, it's like I haven't watched like, it, like honestly, like I need to get into like more horror comedy kind of things because that kind of thing fascinates me of how you can like trigger like uncomfortable, like either like uncomfortable laughter or like ooh, or like the like kind of like the same way of like, I mean, or like the different way of like how RE Seven does it, where like that game is like super gross and gory, and then there's like dumb shit where like Jack Baker picks up like a fucking chainsaw and goes like groovy, and it's like it's it's like stupid but also like kind of horrifying. Where th this is not, this is a different brand of horror comedy, but yeah, um, yeah, I I'd say uh, sort of. <laughs> an, an example of that I could think of would probably be The Shining, just with like <laughs> the way Jack Nicholson <laughs> plays in that movie is just like yeah. absurd and murdery at the same time, and it's like terrifying. Yeah. And you know, he does all the like refer the cultural the, references. Yeah, the stuff. here's Johnny thing. Yeah, yeah. Personally, I'm partial to him uh, doing <laughs> doing the uh, Three Little Pigs, and I'm gonna huff, and I'm mm. gonna puff as he chases her up the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh it's definitely a very good combination I, I i would also say uh probably one of the creepiest like slash funny moments to me is when uh Edward, you know the house is sort of talking about like ordering them all around like how much yeah. they love taking orders and stuff like that yeah and how much he likes giving them like how giddy he is to do it yeah it's like you can't drink tea but it's nice to have someone make it. Yeah. Um... So yeah. Um... Uh, also the, 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 like how, like, again, like how it manages to like, sort of like degrade the loop as it goes on. Like how this time, like Frederick, isn't even sure if he's died already or not. Which is, like, super simple, but still, like, chilling. Um, I guess this is also my point to uh, put out there that this is probably actually the best Christmas special that the show has ever had, and it kind of disappoints me that the show has never gone for, like, actual horror in any of the christmas specials and they're always like fairly light-hearted stupid romps and like while that's fine voyage of the damned already has like claimed throne to that title and i don't think anyone anything else can top it 
And like the only other like Christmas special that I think of like really positively, uh, Husbands of River Song does it through character moments, not by being stupid. <laughs> so yeah, uh, can we get an actually terrifying Christmas special, please? Thank you. Or even like if you want to keep if you want to keep the pastiche, like I know Halloween is not as big over there, but it's like it's just a yeah. holiday universally like just right there to have yeah your your like really t terrific shit and it yeah. they just don't yeah. do that but yeah yeah no this, this the, the, oh, do God, this I do get the sense of like I'm sorry, I don't even just... I don't even think chimes would be like I don't even think RTD would put chimes on TV as is. It's still pretty fucking dark. Like Moffat definitely wouldn't, and Chibnall especially wouldn't. But even RTD probably it would not make the jump without being toned down a little because it is yeah. fucking dark. Yeah, the 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 manner of deaths at least <laughs> yeah. would be, and and like just the suicide itself is. Yeah, no, that, that that wouldn't have gotten aired. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, what, what were you saying, Celeste? Yeah, um, shit. Oh, right, right. I was going to say, uh, on the idea of, of a Halloween special, I was like, okay, I'm sorry, but just imagining Chibnall writing a Halloween special, it wouldn't go well. Ooh, fam, I got my head stuck in a pumpkin. <laughs> no, I was, I, was imagining, I was imagining it's just like, Slenderman is real? <laughs> Hey, no! No! God damn it. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, I just had an idea of like... <laughs> okay, so so it's it's 13 and, and like Jazz and Graham and whatever his face is. And then they're, they're like, they're, they're going on a trip and then... Oh no, we ended up in the woods somewhere. Looks like it's somewhere in North America. Oh, nothing bad could be What is this, here. a page? <laughs> oh, what are these mysterious pages? And then it's like, and one of those like, oh, I think I saw this on the news once. And it's like, no, that can't be real. And then it's Slenderman. And then Slenderman turns out to be an alien who's trapped in a temporal thing or whatever. No, the fucking the family he opens the TARDIS and thirteen comes out and is like, oh, it looks like an American pizzeria from the nineteen eighties. No. Oh no. Oh no. We're <laughs> oh, no. bringing it all back, baby. Still sixtieth oh, no. anniversary, right fucking here. <laughs> Ryan accidentally sets everything to four twenty mode. There's a cameo, obligatory cameo by Markiplier. <laughs> oh, They're also man. in Washington, okay. so like the Twilight crew makes a cameo. Yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> Introducing Robert Pattinson as the man behind the slaughter. <laughs> great ideas. Oh my god. Hire us, okay. Chibnall. All right. Back to an actually good story. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I also like how it, it foreshadows and like you think 
it, like the way uh, this foreshadows like Charlie's second conversation with the cook, Mrs. Baddeley, it foreshadows the ending. But it is, again, like all of almost all of the foreshadowing that this story does foreshadows in a way that. Well, you pick up of like, oh, this is probably obvious foreshadowing. You completely whiff on your expectation of what it's trying to tell you. Of like how like the cook, there's the it foreshadows here that when Edith met Charlie, um, or when when Edith uh, was uh, served under Charlie's family, Edith was older and a cook at that point. But you don't know that's what it's setting up. You just think it's setting up weird shit, or like Edith is more closely connected to the house or whatever. Like, you don't necessarily think about that. Yeah, it's it's writing to subvert and to like quote unquote have a twist, but it's also not cheating in how yeah. it's doing that. Yeah. It's just like again, like this I I it makes me sad that Robert Shearman has only oh well actually okay, he's Yeah, he's done a lot of like uh like little short stories and stuff, but like it kind of makes me sad that he's only done one, two, three, four, five, six uh, full Doctor Who stories, seven if you count kind of a weird what-if one that was in the Doctor Who Unbound line. But at the same time, he's kind of too good for this. <laughs> like, I would actually, cons I will probably actually consider at some point picking up, like, his one of his books or whatever, because he's honestly, like possibly the best writer i have ever seen doctor who have yeah um he's up there yeah um So yes, uh, and then uh, obviously the, the clock strikes eleven. It's Frederick who's killed this time. We get the great line of there's they mention they mention too that he just has this great dark tire track across his chest, and and Mary is like, oh Frederick to be killed by her own Chrysler or Bentley, whichever it was. <laughs> And then, like, the uh, suicide, I presume, Doctor. And then, as I said, it's very sarcastic response. Um, you know, let's take a minute. Let's talk about, let's talk about Eight and Charlie in this episode. Um, obviously, this is, this is y'all's first exposure to Charlie. I like Charlie a lot. I think Charlie, Charlie also is, like, sort of a sense of, like, ace of, like, companions, like, ace where you get like they become it sort of transitions more from like the classic thing of the of the companions just kind of being the doctor's sidekick to be like the one who gets into shit or the one who like the watson and more to them being like a fleshed out character with growth and development which obviously isn't as necessarily apparent in this single story but like it's it's another stepping stone towards where we get in new who Yeah, she was she was good, um, like compelling, especially with like the what you summarized of uh, the 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 story where she's introduced. I kind of I kind of want to go back and experience um, Storm Warning. I think it is. Um, yeah, myself just because 
I think the only thing that held me back from like really knowing, like I just didn't know her origin outside of like yeah the summary yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, when it and, was just and you like, miss the things of like she's very like headstrong and and tended towards adventure, like in Storm Warning. She's like writing a diary of that's literally like she's calling it the adventures of Charlie Pollard, Edwardian adventuress, and has stowed away as a boy to like get on this on the crew of this ship. Yeah, exactly. So things like that. And when it was just like, oh, you know, she's from a family that would have had like a cook and like was rich yeah. enough to have that. It was just kind of like, oh, okay. Uh, she's not a bad character. She's definitely like endearing yeah. and like works well with eight. So that wasn't a problem. Yeah. Um, there will be a lot like yeah. if we if we go further on Big Finish, which honestly I I might just do because while it would mean that we have to fo talk about the twin juggernauts of Neverland and and uh, Zagreus, I think it would be worth it. So we could talk about uh, Shirtso at some point in the future. But yeah, like I I because Shirtso. I, I won't get too into it because I really don't want to ruin, like, the first-time experience of Shirtso. But Shirtso is the most brutal deconstruction of the Doctor-Companion relationship I have ever experienced. Um. Anyways, uh, and yeah, obviously 8 is great, very sarcastic, but... Very sarcastic, like, very sarcastic, but, like, very much, like, a sort of active character who's, I don't know, like, something about, like, when I, when I think about, like, when I think about, like, my doctor, that would obviously be 12, but when I think about the doctor as a concept they act very similar to eight. Like eight just feels kind of like quintessentially the doctor. How, like, when is this for him? Is this like pre losing memories? Um, no, be, no. Cause remember in TV movie, he regenerates. Then that's, that's where he has the amnesia. Well, no, I mean, later on, he loses his memory again. Yeah. When the fuck did that happen? I don't know. I just know that's a big thing with his character that he gets oh. amnesia. Oh, well, yeah. I think it happens. Yeah, it happens a lot. And there's, it's it, like trying to figure out uh, like continuity between Big Finish continuity and like Eighth Doctor novel continuity is a thing. And I haven't even really gotten into it because like okay. it's a thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, in terms of Big Finish continuity, I believe this is still pretty early because, like, Big Finish is, like, the most, like, concrete, like, timeline of the Eighth Doctor's life because you go from, like, this with Charlie that's, like, early on and, like, adventures that he had with Mary Shelley to um, stuff that he has with, like, Lucy Miller and other stuff which moves in which i think at the end of which gets like real brutal and like starts to really break him even though some of the shit with charlie gets who uh gets it gets pretty dark and uh, brutal in places and then it moves on to like dark eyes and the time war stuff where just he's got like the short hair and like the more military coat and like the darker outfit and is just getting more and more broken until we eventually meet him in night of the doctor yeah, so this I was is like bring pretty up, early on for him. I was gonna bring up Knight because I know it was like kind of a semi big deal, 
that when he's acknowledging all of his companions, it's like basically yeah. canonizing them in like the big in the show. Yeah, he mentions as having been people. Yeah, he mentions Charlie. He mentions uh, Lucy. He mentions uh, Chris. Uh, he mentions yeah. He basically mentions like all of like his major companions in like a like one sentence, and and canonizes them basically. <laughs> canonizing. Yeah, there. I mean, there is no canon, but like, it, it there's there's at least it was at the point where like it it wasn't completely disregarded, and it 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 was a good character bit and a good like uh nostalgia bit for anyone who like was into big finish. Um. Uh, let's see here. Um. Uh, Charlie is taken back to Edith, um, and I I do like like the 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 old Edith or like the older Edith or like the real Edith and like how sort of bitter and haunting they are and how this is backed up by that that synth melody and then or that that synth drone and then Edward Grove is alive being scratched into the 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 wood of this table, um, and then. Or, or or also the little thing that Charlie mentions of Charlie's memories being fucked with and she not even really being able to concretely remember what is hers and what isn't. Um and then eight uh begins to climb the stairs to basically pull Edward Grove out. Um, and I love, I love how like he's like, oh, I'm taking one step. Oh, there's another one. Oh, oh, wow, you're being really slow. Look, see, I can go like do 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 do. And then Shaughnessy like runs in panting. And is like, no, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> and then points the gun at him. <laughs> um. And then we get the big reveal that Edward Grove is the house twenty two Edward Grove, which is like. This weird concept, but works super well of like this this malevolent force inside the house gaining senti of the house gaining sentience and exerting its dominion because of this paradox and time loop. It reminded me of two things: one, that killer house you face in the arena in uh, FF Seven. Oh, the fucking the hell the hell house in the FF Seven. Yeah. <laughs> Reminded me of that. That that fight was fucking brutal. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, that fight's great. And then it reminded me of, isn't in the Doctor's Wife by Neil Gaiman? Isn't there something else yes. called the house? Where yeah, where it's like literally like the planet. Yeah, the the sentient like asteroid. Yeah. Yeah, I doubt. I don't know. <laughs> it in my own head canon, I'd probably rework that to be like somehow the same it, it it's definitely not but that was just like a yeah. neat concept for me it's just like oh these like malevolent things that like play with people's lives um it's like yeah. basically like the same name or same idea yeah um and how it is it is literally feeding off repeatedly killing the servants in this in this loop and it gets stronger every loop and i i do like that there is a point where 
uh, there is a point where fucking uh, uh, Eight's just like, nope, we're getting the fuck out of here. It doesn't work, but <laughs> he still takes the initiative to be like, no, I'm getting the fuck out of here. This is a problem. Like, nope. <laughs> and then obviously the, the cliffhanger is like, oh, no, it didn't actually work. Oh, and there is the, the horror of that second uh, that or second or third time uh, Charlie talks to the dead or real Edith. She short she sort of gets assimilated into the house for a bit, which is also really good foreshadowing and also like a, 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 a good tension builder. Yeah, it it shows it speaks volumes to how like if there's a situation where the doctor is just like, yeah, no, sorry, y'all are fucked. We're gone. <laughs> like, I don't know. I can maybe imagine 12 doing that or like any of yeah. the modern doctors under specific circumstances. But it felt yeah. like a very like, OK, y'all are lost. Like, I can't do nope. anything. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> um. uh so yeah uh and then it, it's 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 honestly terrifying how in this last loop like the servants it it's almost like they've been around in the loop so much and their hierarchy like the structure of the society that they were already in had brought them to the point that at this point it's not even really like mind control almost it's it's just like they're just willingly going with it. They are they are willingly, uh, like like willingly uh submitting themselves to subservience by the house. Yeah, there's there's more good commentary with that, especially when he like tries to leave and he's just like, oh, so you think we're nothing too. It's like you yeah. talked all this or, stuff, and, but and you really didn't. And also how, yeah, and how as much as they want to leave, they cannot escape from both the loop and the structure. Mm -hmm. Like, that way, they have to do it, like, compassionately. Um, so, yeah, and then uh, in this last, like, 30-minute chunk that is part four, like, it all hits home of, you get the big, of, uh, like... Uh, time slows down to like a uh, a uh, in in like a macrocosm of like a second playing out over minutes, um, where uh, eight speaks with Edward Grove and Charlie uh speaks with Edith, and we get the the revelation that Edith was the cook at Charlie's house, um, but at in 1906 when this was set she was only a scullery maid and was younger um and how uh charlie uh was the only one who ever showed her kindness um and how that led to uh her committing suicide out of despair when she got the news that charlie had died in the cra crash of the r101 which led to this paradox because she died for Charlie, but Charlie ended up not dying. And this weird half, like, it's like, um, like, okay, normally this may be a bit of a weird hot take, but, uh, I 
don't think I think Bioshock Infinite is vastly overrated considered compared to the Rapture games. But there is a concept that I like and it is used in a similar way here of like when they jump universes and you run into someone who you killed in a different universe and then you merge the universes of how like that mentally completely fucks them up because they have simultaneously the memory of dying and of not dying. Um, and I'm just glad that it was used in an actually good story here. Um, uh, um, and there's also the great thing here of how I mentioned, like, obviously there's the metafictional level of, of using these stereotypes uh, because they're recognizable. But I also like how there is the in-universe thing of the stereotypes of, like, it doesn't matter that it's not exactly these people. They all acted the same to her. They all acted out the same roles. It's like this this fantastic piece of synergistic writing. Yeah, and it makes the whole, like, that that Mary assumes the role of the scullery maid make even all the more sense. Because even... It even though it wasn't that pairing that necessarily had an affair, it did happen. And kind of how, like, it's using the idea of a trope, like, literally in the universe of just, like, all of these together make up these people who did exist, but, yeah. like, it's yeah. them exaggerated to the nth degree. Yeah, or, like, like the specific line of, like, it wasn't Frederick who seduced me. It was a different chauffeur, but it doesn't. It didn't matter because they all treated me the same. What? What was? What is the difference? Um. And meanwhile, uh, the doctor and Edward Grove uh, talk about how um, it it is deriving power from the time loop, from the paradox. Um and. Aid is disgusted by how petty Edward Grove is and how he's literally feeding off the servants, which Edward Grove obviously commits, uh, 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 counters back with the knife point of, isn't that just what their masters were doing in the first place? It's, it's, it's like the, the similar thing of planet in the, of the Ood of like, well, they, like they didn't ask. It means the same thing as they didn't care. Um, And how, yeah, as, as like eight early on sort of realizes that the paradox is them. It is not anything else. It is them being there. That is the paradox and how, yeah, he's right. Like it, them, them appearing created this uh, massive paradox. Um, And uh, the doctor tries to talk Edward Grove down, and it, it doesn't work. So he comes up with a pretty baller backup plan, which is getting Shaughnessy to strangle him. So he gets sent to where Charlie and Edith are, which is, like, the weird, like, side dimension where the people who die in the loop go. Um... And he, uh, and, uh, he, uh, while Charlie, um, is about to, uh, kill herself with edith to set everything right he convinces her not to do it um and there's there's also like the the description like charlie's description of how she suddenly can remember the sensation of like literally burning up and dying in this wreckage 
is like also like chills. Yeah. Um I'm assuming that the from like stuff that's said like at the very end that the doctor hasn't told her she's supposed to be dead. Or like that there's yeah. like a fixed time aspect to this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And this this does go on to later parts in the arc, especially um, Neverland and uh, Zagreus. Um, so yeah, um, and uh, eight eight and Char uh, Charlie managed to convince Edith to not kill herself, which uh, destroys Edward Grove. And as I mentioned, there's that that chilling um it's it's my life for hers and that that petulant like like i deserve the right to live over this person which it obviously works on like all these meta levels um and uh the episode ends with uh eight and charlie coming out and talking with the real edith thompson from 1906 and giving her encouraging words and departing as eight just kind of dodges having to talk with Charlie about the real shit. It's like he, he makes tens emotional avoidance seem like small. Potatoes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, uh, at the end she, uh, Edith reflects that she is Edith Thompson and she is somebody which caps off this absolute tour de force of a story. Um, anything else before we uh, move on to ratings? All right, yeah. Um, this is widely commonly regarded as one of the best Doctor Who stories ever and is usually, like, it is one of, like, three or four stories that are usually, like, this is what you pick for your best ever big finish story. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's like exactly tied with me with something like a school reunion or human nature, but it is, it is in that tier of like the triple S smoking sick style devil may cry tier of, of, of Dr. Who writing of like just absolutely superlative, like the depth the the replay value of it of like i've listened to, like i listened to this thing i've listened to it twice before this and then i listened to it once uh without taking notes and then listened to it again over today so i've listened to it like twice in the in the last two days um and just every time noticing like new things there's there's so much there in just this two hours of content it's so masterfully written it's scary it's funny it's uh uh biting it's uh has it's got this uh stuff to say um it has a a uplifting end to it all um it's scientific it's complicated it's just it is everything doctor who should be and it is it like Stories like this are why I have such a high standard for Doctor Who because it's I know that given the right situation this franchise can turn out absolute 
golden pieces of storytelling. 10 out of 10, A++, triple S, goat-based, Kino, raw, poggers swag. <laughs> really went for it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, basically seconding everything you said there. This, this is a fantastic story. Um, not only like narratively, but it uses the medium fantastically um, as basically an introduction to my as my first big finish anything, my first Doctor Who big finish anything. This was an absolute treat. Um, all the characters are on point. The sound design is great. Um, most exposition and most like the plot and everything like going forward is just felt so natural and so atmospheric. Um, it does a wonderful job balancing like the dissonance of like the horror with also like the comedy or just the strange and it's built around a great concept um as an intro to charlie uh, is pretty good i i liked her and as like a further basically my third exposure to eight ever i was just like yeah i like him he's he's a good incarnation especially to deal with a story like yeah. this because as you said there were just moments with like his dry sarcasm and his just like well yeah. fuck now i gotta do he's, it this yeah. way he's kind of like quintessentially like the doctor like he has like twos twos uh two and fours like wanderlust and like sort of like traveling romantic sort of flair as well as like ability for um sarcasm um and general just like loves being this uh interstellar uh cosmic hobo he has sort of the the romanticism and ex uh for travel that uh five has he has sort of tens approachability etc like he just feels like this perfect amalgamation of the doctor like as i said like 12 is my doctor but eight just feels to me like the quintessential doctor yeah i i could definitely see where that that opinion comes from it's it already felt like just like if this if this was like the first doctor i'd been introduced to i i think i would have gotten a lot of that flavor out of him um but yeah as i said like everything is firing on all cylinders um rob shearman uh continues to be a goat in the hooniverse and i'd really love to experience his fuck. future stories and maybe yeah. even eventually his stuff outside of doctor who because damn um but yeah i second that um a plus plus triple s um pog tier story yeah um <laughs> it's a good story y'all already said things yeah <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, it is just very. There's really only so like there, there there's a limit to how many superlatives you can throw on like an absolutely like perfect piece of media. Yeah, I mean it's just a very well put together thing. It's a fascinating story. It's interestingly put together. The audio is good. The characters are good. The acting is good. It's good. Ten out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess next time for bonus episodes, um, I'm not entirely sure. I think I might just keep going down the big finish train and have the next thing we talk about be either 
uh, either like Seasons of Fear, which would be the next one to sort of set up as a bridge for uh, Neverland, or like have us listen to Seasons of Fear off stream and then cover like Neverland as like the actual like next bonus episode. Because I do, I just, I really want to talk about Shirtso because I want to see, I want to see other people's reactions to Shirtso because it is even more fascinating than this to me, I think. Um, oh dear. Plus then we get to spend like a big, huge, long bonus episode talking about how much of a fucking mess Zagreus is. Um, so yeah, I, I will see, but I, I would, I would probably expect some more eight big finish stuff to come in the bonus episodes. Um, until then, uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at B2TardisPod. Uh, you can support us on Patreon to get bonus episodes like this uh, released earlier for you, um, as well as the ability to listen in live to our recordings of normal episodes uh, and potentially even uh, guest star on an episode of your choosing. Uh, I'm Jeff. You can follow me on Twitter at WheatleyDL. It wouldn't be this podcast without Skylar Martin, and you can find me at Twitter at SkyHigh9 underscore 5. I'm literally just some fucking panther, and you can find me at Quixotic Clues. <laughs> and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>